Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome, and today we're going to England to talk to Jacqueline Wynne-Sanley, who's the founder and CEO of Universal Inclusion. And we're going to find out more about that in a few minutes. But welcome, Jacqueline, and tell us about your academic background. Thank you for inviting me today. Um, I suppose I'm a little bit of an academic geek, really. So I completed my degree as a mature student. And following on from that, um, all of my work, I've recognized the value of identifying a particular societal problem, piloting a solution, and academically validating it. And that is the way I believe that you are then able to influence policy at government level because you have the academic evidence to do so. So where did you go to school? I went, I went to, um, I suppose, a local comprehensive school here in Bolton. And then, um, obviously, I had my children. And then I went back to do a degree. At, at what university again? University of Bolton. Okay. So I didn't go very far. <laughs> That's all right. So what about your work background? Where did you work? I've had I've had a number of jobs. So I've had very practical jobs while I was doing my degree. So I've worked as a, a teaching assistant within primary and secondary schools and in an inclusion unit. And then, um, excuse me a minute, I just need to get a drink. Won't be a moment. A lingering COVID cough, unfortunately. <coughs> okay. So my my very early sort of step into my current career was that I was working within the childcare arena, initially in play schools, and my background in schools had shown me this vast inequality in terms of young people who were given the SEND label within a school, and more so what did they do in their free time. And it was almost like the universe was pointing me to do this because literally at the point I had completed my work, my degree, and I was wondering where I was going to go next, this opportunity came from government to fund you to open a childcare scheme. And what I decided to do, because I was acutely aware that families who had disabled children were not accessing play and childcare alongside their peers, it would have been done through a social worker. And if they were lucky, they might have got some one day, perhaps in the school holidays under respite. <coughs> Excuse me. And I got it into my head that actually what we really needed was inclusive play and childcare that was accessible to everybody. So I created a blueprint. And with the funding from government, I set up one of the first inclusive play and childcare settings in the UK. And that, that was quite a journey because I had a, a very good vision and an academic underpinning. The reality, um, I, I learned a lot in that period of time. Okay. So 
now we arrive at you starting your own operation. Mm -hmm. So universal inclusion, how did you come up with the name and what is the purpose of the organization? Okay. I think, again, for me, the, the name says, says it all because that's what I believe. I, I don't really sign up to a sort of silo approach to this. My work is very much sort of embedded really in a holistic approach that is very simple really. It's sort of, you know, what is it that as a society we do? Would somebody like to actually do it? And if they need support to do it, how can we make that possible? And so for me, the name just suits what I'd like to see in the world and also what, what I do within my portfolio. Okay. So tell us about some of the services that are offered by the organization. So under the umbrella of universal inclusion, it's really sort of like what doesn't it do would be easier, I think. But in essence, I work with organizations, sectors, to identify where there are barriers to access, not only for people who want to access services, but people who want to work or volunteer within them. And that's anything from, I've worked in, obviously, play and childcare, I've worked in culture, I've worked in creative spaces, I've worked within uh, whole towns and cities on the strategic plans around holistic, inclusive working practice. And basically, through the performers that I develop, it's, it's pathways effectively. So I will work with across sectors, across organizations, whether it be with um, charities, private sector, or whether it's the work I do within um, government to actually come up with solutions. But those are solutions that are taken on board by the organization and the pathways that I develop means that they become embedded and do change the organization to having what I call a holistic inclusive working practice and increased representation. So to just give you an example of something of that nature, um, and people can, you know, people can sort of like Google the stuff that I do. So if you Googled inclusive playcare model, it would all come up. But when I've worked with, for example, um, artists from the creative space who coincidentally are actually part of the Inclusive Entrepreneur Network, Thing that came out time and time again was you know even if we are able to acquire the skills to go on to be successful musicians actors etc we don't often get the opportunity because the sector is still there's no equity within there in terms of us as being recognized as valuable so i create those opportunities so for example in saint george's hall in liverpool we started to do an annual concert and that concert showcased um i suppose artists who you might say are a little bit different incredibly talented people that previously hadn't had opportunities to actually enter that space or support that sp that space in in that level of arena so that suddenly within the beautiful concert hall in liverpool our entrepreneurial creatives were getting opportunities and it's really rocketed their careers so that's one aspect of it. Um, for example, I work with um, an organization that helps to renovate a heritage site here in Bolton as well. Uh, and again, it's it's the same blueprint that I use 
across all of these sectors and it's very very successful okay so a couple of interesting uh podcasts that i just did re recently you may find interesting one is with the college of adaptive arts out of california which is a really interesting organization founded by two ladies who have daughters with special needs. So the college is post-secondary for people with special needs, which is very, very cool. And uh, so that's, that's one, but I, I wanna delve into this a little further because you've provided some examples. Are you doing this by yourself? Or do you have a team? Um, I have associates. So I effectively, I am a sole trader. So um, and I take that route because I'm also a disabled entrepreneur myself. And for me to work as an individual who at times needs to bring associates in is a better way of actually running my business. So my success and actually... I think the success of anything we do around inclusion is collaboration. And, and that works really well for me. I'm also very lucky that I do have um, support through the Access to Work Award here in the UK, which means I do have a certain level of practical support to enable me to do the work that I do. Okay, so where are you going to be in three years? What's the organization? going to look like in three years? Well, that, that's interesting, is it? Because ideally you wouldn't want to be here. You would want to have seen things develop in such a way that we wouldn't be needed. Um, and it's, it's quite interesting. So in terms of growth, um, in a way I've, I've already started to diversify myself because to a degree, I'm at the point where I'd like, I, I wanted to be. So I'm actually, <laughs> Excuse me. So within my business, I think I am considered to be an authentic and authoritative voice on, on how to do this. I'm also very privileged to be um, secretariat to the all-party parliamentary group for inclusive entrepreneurship. What I want to do, and I have just, um, I might regret this, but I've just signed up to do my PhD, which is, which is again, another avenue that I, I want to go down. But what I would like to, where I would like to be is to have that balance between my working, my practical working life and my academic career so that we don't continue to see these silo approaches to this, but we actually have, excuse me, <coughs> the academic research and recommendations in place so that it's easier for whether it's government policy, whether it's organizations, to actually take these steps within a supportive pathway to do so. Because what, what you'll be probably aware of yourself, there's, you know, there's been numbers of ways that people have tried to do this, whether it be legislation, various work programs, et cetera. And we still see people say, actually, great, but how do we do it? So in three years' time, what I would I would my aim, if you will, be to to have been whether it's a small part or not, a contributor to making that change, that shift from 
if you will, that paradigm shift, that 2030 agenda paradigm shift, from where we are in this regard to actually seeing organisations that it becomes something akin to how they would respond to health and safety, that it becomes as embedded as that. And, and I think at that point, I, I would like, that's where I'd like to be. And that um, in terms of the academic roots, again, that there is some um, academic credibility to what I do, it, particularly in the realms of inclusive entrepreneurship. And then hopefully, I, I won't need to be as busy as I am at the moment trying to make things better. Okay. That leads me to the next question. When are you writing a book on all of this? Well, <laughs> ironically, I'm in the middle of writing my book, um, like many people do. I'm probably also procrastinating a lot about it. So my book, I have my book title and it's and it is nearly ready. So my book title is Ticking Outside the Box. Um, and it actually showcases my work to date, but in a very pragmatic way that takes people along the journey that I've traveled and picks out the things that are kind of critical to people actually embedding this and making it into working practice. And at the end, you know, I talk about the model, I talk about the various blueprints, but you see this thread throughout the book that what is, you know, the key elements of the collaboration and examples of, of that, that being so important. And equally, you know, to show that it doesn't matter what sector you're in, it is achievable, provided you put in place that blueprint and supportive pathway for everybody. It's interesting you talk about thinking outside the box. A Microsoft trainer told me to think inside the box. Interesting. Use the resources and the processes and the tools that you already have more effectively. And yeah. I thought that was a very interesting approach. I, I think it's that is so true. So, so the title is ticking outside the box, not thinking. And I've used I've used the sort of term ticking because sadly, a lot of what we see is tick box things. So, for example, when I was working with the various organisations within different towns and cities, a key part of what I was sharing and within that that sort of supportive pathway was how this it doesn't mean they have to you know stop everything it's just doing things differently and when you actually start to, to sort of go between the sort of the fears that people have and the responses that you might get so oh you know oh so you want us to change everything oh so what do we do with that now you're going somebody else telling us what we can do it'll sit on a shelf in six months but once you actually take people through the process where they actually start to see that isn't what this is about, it's, it's actually embedding it in what you already have. So, for example, if you have a training budget, you're just placing this within your training training budget. If you have a budget that, you know, for, that might look at um, how you might go on excursions, there are certain things that you think about. You're just adding something to that list. You're not, you're not having to completely reinvent yourself it's just auditing where you are 
and then where you're clearly not meeting the criteria you'd like to, putting something in place to support those support those departments that are actually going to be responsible for doing things. So for example, finance as well. So when I've been doing this, one of the things that comes across time and time again is nobody speaks to the finance department. They need to be part of the discussion because actually they end up being the ones that are actually the budget holders. So having the sort of the strategic decision makers involved. So, you know, whether it be from the board, et cetera, and that they all they all feed into this process and they travel that journey. And they they kind of talk about, well, you know, I will advise them on possible pathways and they will say, well, actually, because we do this, that's not going to be possible. And, that, you know, well, well, could you do it this way? So, I mean, I heard something really interesting the other day and it was um, this, this perception of what people are capable of. And, you know, just to be that sort of person who can voice an alternative view on, on how things can be done. And it's so effective. So besides being a mother and an entrepreneur, an author, an academic, you also have had some physical and medical challenges. Can you talk briefly about that? Yes, yes, I have. So um, I haven't always been, um, I sometimes say I haven't always had the badge. Um, so I, my early career, I was very much witnessing, identifying inequalities and thinking of ways to actually put solutions in place. And then, uh, unfortunately, um, whilst I was in the midst of this, um, I actually developed some quite complex health conditions myself, um, which was which was an interesting time in my life because it was very, it was very strange being an access and inclusion manager, where an organisation understood completely how to and the need to sort of change services to become more equitable. But like many organisations at that time, had no idea how to support somebody who actually acquired a health condition whilst in the workplace. And sadly for me, that meant that despite, you know, all the processes that you go through, which did include an employment tribunal, the end result for me was I didn't have my job at the end of that. And, you know, and, and that was something that, you know, I'd been encouraged to go into local government as an entrepreneur to cascade the work I've done across the local borough and the country. So that that was a massive challenge for me because suddenly it was sort of, I think I could, I could almost remember myself at the time almost like twizzing around thinking of not comprehending this, this kind of concept of, of, you know, being in that role and then having that experience. But actually, I wouldn't be doing what I was doing now without it. So I, I do have, you know, quite complex health conditions, which does, does give me, um, I think, excuse me, <coughs> it does affect my voice, <laughs> which you're experiencing today. But it does give me um, that, that lived experience now, which I think is actually very invaluable. As, as, I, as I experienced when I had my theoretical approach to this and the practical running the childcare scheme, et cetera, even, even then I didn't fully understand it. I had that outside looking in. 
experience, but actually having the kind of complexities that I have myself, it does make things, um, ironically, easier, if that makes any sense. So you recently had a, a, a positive negative experience with COVID. Yes, definitely. So just, just to backtrack a little bit to what universal inclusion does, I think that's relevant. So as well as the frameworks and pathways that we do, we also work, at, at, you know, holding awareness raising events. We work with people who um, want to remain in work. We work with people wanting to access practical support. There's so many different things that we do. I've been really lucky to have opportunities to speak about the work I do at the Windsor consultations at the United Nations headquarters. So all, but all of that was in the real world. And if I'm honest, um, I could never have imagined it being undertaken digitally, like many people, I'm sure. So I, like, you know, the rest of the world, at the point of which we had um, it, the lockdown here in the UK, it, it, was, it was just, it's like your whole world was crashing down because you've worked so hard to, to be where you were and to have developed this wonderful network of, entrepreneurs who have protected characteristics and suddenly not only were we facing the the kind of medical aspect of the pandemic but actually to have our voices silenced again and um i had a very steep learning curve in that first week and and to be fair some of it some of that was myself getting over you know i had to give myself a good talking to because i you know i was feeling a bit sorry for myself i think and also listening to the entrepreneurs who would contact me and, you know, some of them would say, well, we haven't been out of bed for three days. This is this is the end of our business. So by the end of that first week, I'd, uh, I'd taken a massive leap of faith and put, um, put things online. I created what we call our Friday briefings, which people can access on YouTube. Um, the earlier ones um, probably show you how not to do it because it was a massive learning curve and as you know I've got some great pictures of when I first did it with like you know two lamps and a chessboard and things trying to put all this together but we did improve and the key thing about that was it allowed us to keep our sector and others actually informed so like other countries our government was struggling they were communicating, nobody was using BSL, et cetera. So it, it became a, a place that the sector could come to on a Friday afternoon in the midst of all that chaos. We maintained all our real world support just online. And, and they were, they were. I look back now and I think sometimes I think, I don't know how we did it, but I'm so glad that we did. And the value of those Friday briefings for our sector during that time, particularly the lockdowns, the comments that we get about that, you know, we know we made a massive impact on people's ability to retain their businesses, their mental health and well-being, and keeping them informed and still allowing them, because we were, the way we did this, to have a voice with parliamentarians in terms of how, how Parliament needed to support our sector at that crucial time. So that, that was amazing, and I think I know what you're trying to get at, because one of the really key things to come out of that particular time was one of our Friday briefing, 
Friday briefings, we invited uh, Dr. Lisa Cameron, MP, to, and we were going through our usual recommendations, and that included the creation of an all-party parliamentary group specifically for inclusive entrepreneurship. And thankfully for us, Dr. Cameron agreed to chair it. And again, at the height of the pandemic, we created this. Um, and it is game-changing. So we created the all-party parliamentary group, another steep learning curve. <laughs> and our recommendations became a two-year programme of work. I was very privileged to be asked, if I, asked to provide secretariat and I'm supported in doing that by Sabitas, which is a, an organization that supports women in enterprise here in the UK. And it really did for the first time. And you know, I've I'm pretty familiar with how to work with with parliamentarians to try to inform them of ways that things can be done better. And so to be in this this very privileged position of being able to in a cross-party way, facilitate the very essential discussion and pathways to actually support this sector and help it to grow. And, and that's been, it's been a wonderful experience. Um, very, 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 very much so um, in terms of getting your head around parliamentary protocols and things. But I would now advise any practitioner or anybody who wants to engage with the political system and, and how to inform parliamentarians on, on good practice, that this is a very effective way of doing it. And our, um, I suppose, achievements with doing that so far, we are in the middle at the moment, the um, APPG launched an inquiry because there's very little research in respect of inclusive entrepreneurship. I had done a, a co-authored report, a literature review with some colleagues from Medgar Evers in New York, and basically the literature review confirmed, you know, there's a lot of a lot of work going on, but it's not being academically validated. So the inquiry, um, groundbreaking in, in terms of the things that we're going to look at about this sector, and hopefully the positive recommendations that we will make. And there's so many wonderful things coming out of this APPG. So Jacqueline, two sources to find more information about you. Obviously, YouTube and your website. So how do people reach your website and your YouTube channel? Yeah. I'm not, one thing I'm not good at, Peter, is promoting myself. <laughs> um, however, so if somebody did want to get in touch, on the website, there are drop-down pages for the network and the all-party parliamentary group, and there are, there are forms to fill in. Um, equally, you know, we, we are on Twitter, etc. cetera. Well, what, what, is the, what is the website? Oh, sorry. So, right. So I think if anybody Googled universal inclusion, it will come up. So it's, um, I might come back to you on that one. <laughs> I, I'm really not, I'm, I, I know if I have an area that I need to improve on, it is marketing myself and the work that we do. So, but if, if anybody Googled universal inclusion, it would be the first thing that comes up. Okay, what about YouTube? Where do they find you on YouTube? Again, same again, if you, um, on YouTube, put in universal inclusion and it will just, it will just come up. Okay. 
So we've had an opportunity this afternoon, your time, morning, my time, to talk to a lady who wears many hats, to put it mildly, and does that through challenges, both emotional and physical, and does them really well. So thank you very much for joining me today.